five. Welcome to West Virginia and Commonplace. Today, my special guest is Stephanie Bingham. She is a historian with a twist. Stephanie, would you please introduce yourself to my audience and tell them a little bit about yourself and what you do? Well, thank you for having me. My name is Stephanie Bingham. I have undergraduate degrees in history, anthropology, and a master's degree in history. And specifically what I studied in college in undergrad, it was this, uh, voodoo actually, New Orleans voodoo. And in grad school, it was a spiritualist movement. So I really looked at sort of the early American ghost hunting, if you will. And the reason I looked at that was because I've actually been seeing spirits since I was a very young child. And I wanted to give myself some context for what I've been seeing and sort of prove to myself that I wasn't alone in seeing all this weirdness. So I looked at all of that. And then I went through and started working at museums. So I've worked at several at this point. And uh, when you work at a museum and they find out that you uh, see dead people, a lot of times you end up getting really weird midnight calls about strange things that are happening in the museum. Uh, and from there, I actually started working for a bourbon distillery. And that was one of the first questions they asked me was whether or not I could deal with their ghosts. So it's a very odd skill set, but people find it rather fascinating. It can be useful in a lot of fields that people don't think it is. Okay, so my first question is, um, when did you learn about your talent or your skill set that you have? Like, or, or how did you like learn how to like to control this energy, like to be able to deal with the paranormal? That's an interesting question. So the first person that I saw that I know was dead happened when I was about a year and a half old. And I know about this particular occurrence because I told my mother about it. A man came in through the window in the middle of the night and he sat and talked to me and then he would leave. It was completely normal to a year and a half old kid. So I would tell my mom and she just sort of ignored it at first said, okay, thought I was imagining things and sent me on my way, but it kept happening. And there kept being messages that he was wanting me to deliver to people. So I would tell her and eventually it got to a point where she took out a group family photo and asked me if I could tell her if the person that I was seeing was in the picture. And he was, and it was a relative who had recently died who I'd never met. So that was the first time that other people knew that something was going on. I didn't personally realize that I was seeing ghosts because my mother didn't tell me until I was up in late elementary school. So it was several years later, but it really was with the help of the ghosts themselves. Like, I had that kid logic of you trust adults. You don't really think about it. So the gentleman that was coming to see me, just a nice man that I knew, just, it didn't, it didn't register in my mind that anything about it was odd, but he would tell me different things on how to get things to behave when they would bother me. Just little trick tips and tricks that you could do to sort of make it a, a little bit easier. But I remember one of the first things that he told me was, I could see them because they could see me. I looked solid to them. And I'm not entirely sure why I didn't put two and two together. I think I was just too young at the time to really understand what he was saying. But the way he explained it was the people who they came to were the ones that they could see. Almost like ghosts are in the same position as people are. They can only see some of us. So that's why some of us get more of them. But it was a very odd sort of transition. And I had one other helpful fact in that in elementary school, 
there was one other person that I knew who was in the same boat I was. He had the same sorts of talents I did. So that was really when I started exploring and understanding what was going on was when I met him. He had a better grasp on it at that point, And he really sort of talked me through what was going on. So in getting this, this, this talent that you have, like you can, if you're around someone, can you sense who's watching them or can you do it? Like if you're not near them, how does that work? Like, how do you, what's the medium or what's the, what's the, 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 the transmission to know this? So it, it differs from person to person. So over the years, I've sort of learned to turn it up and turn it down. When I was little, it was on full blast all the time. And there were times, especially when I was younger, I could not tell if someone was alive or dead. I did not know. I just couldn't tell a difference. But over time, I've learned to be better able to navigate there and see what is here and what is there. When it comes to looking at a person and seeing if someone's there, that's a very specific thing. Like in my daily life, I go around sort of turned off so that I can function as a normal person. Okay. But if I'm at someone and they want me to look, it's a matter of you don't want to take everything down in a public place. You're going to get mobbed, essentially. There's going to be too much coming at you at once to really sort through what you're looking at. Okay. So you have to be very sort of selective how you do that. But there, it's very hard to explain, I understand. But if someone is there, you can feel it. Like if I'm looking for it. It feels different. The energy, the air, the aura, whatever you want to call it around the person feels distinctly different. And if there is someone there that wants to communicate, oftentimes it feels, you know, masculine or feminine and you can sort of get bits and pieces of it like that. Emotions come through very strongly for me. So I can generally feel something like there is an older woman who's feeling regret or something like that. Uh, For me personally, electronics don't really like me. So anytime I've tried to do distance readings over any sort of electronic device, I have managed to kill them. So (laughs) haven't quite got that one figured out, but in person, it is, it comes down mainly to feel to me, if that makes any sense. That makes sense. So it's like you can, in person, there's a certain plane you can break that obviously technology wouldn't allow you to because technology, like I said, is artificial. Um, Yeah, I've got friends who are very very good at doing it over distance. I just am not quite built the same way they are. Uh, And even when you talk from psychic to psychic, you'll understand that their wording of things, how they feel things, how they interpret things. Everyone has their own separate set of symbols, their own separate way of interpreting things. So unfortunately, there are very few hard and fast rules that work for everybody. Okay. Now, let me ask you this. How does being a psychic and a historian mix together? How does that... (laughs) Like, like, how does that, you know, factor in, like, uh, I, I spoke with you briefly about certain places in West Virginia, and you've traveled to many different paranormal experiences. Could you tell my audi- our audience right now about, like, one of these experiences you went on, and, like, what you felt and initially, like, when you got there? Like, how does that all play out? West Virginia is such a crazy location. Like, just in general, the state feels distinctly different. I'm from Kentucky. So the state and the land here has a very distinct feel. Um, I've been to West Virginia several times at this point. It's not that far of a drive. It's a great sort of day trip. And I was actually uh, there just a few weeks ago. 
And we actually went to uh, Point Pleasant. And I've okay. been there specifically several times. That was actually the first place in West Virginia I ever went. Mothman area. What co- Mothman, that's what, yes, that's exactly what it was. My roommate and I, who in college was also psychic, decided we needed a spring break getaway. And we decided that Mothman was the place to go because, you know, <laughs> what else do you do on spring break? Right. So uh, we went over there and stayed at the low hotel. And I remember distinctly as we crossed the second bridge, because there's two bridges you have to take to get into Point Pleasant from where I'm at. And you could feel the entire energy of the place change. It knew it was different from where we'd been. It's very odd and very distinct. And I couldn't shake the feeling the entire time we were out at Point Pleasant it felt like someone was watching me at the whole time, just everywhere we went, it felt like you weren't alone, even if you knew you were. It was a very odd presence. And when we were there, there was something distinctly inhuman in Point Pleasant, the thing that was there. I never saw it, but there was something there that was never in a human body. That much I feel exceedingly comfortable in saying. And uh, the last time we were there, we went in looking specifically to do some research. So we were going through and getting documents and pictures out of the igloos and things like that. Uh-huh. And I took uh, one of my friends with me, not psychic at all. And when we got there, she was like, this reminded her of what Erie, Indiana it used to be a show on a Disney Channel where everybody would like be out and doing the exact same things at the exact same time. It just looked, it looked too perfect to her. And she was creeped out by it. There was nothing that happened in the city that should have bothered her, but there was something about the energy that even to someone who wasn't weird like me, she picked up on it and she knew enough to know that she was creeped out, basically. And I hadn't given her the whole Mothman story on the way there. Like, she didn't know the intent of the occurrences that were there. So it was very odd to watch how someone who didn't really know what had happened there react to the energy in that place. It was very odd, though. Very strange. Okay, so, like, being from Kentucky, um, did you find anything, like, in, like, anywhere, places like Lexington, Frankfurt, or anywhere like that, or Ashland, Kentucky, Grayson, any of them places up there? Like, because there's a lot of history out there, Civil War and different things like that. Um, have you been to any sites out there in Kentucky that have given you a similar vibe? I think the place in Kentucky that has given me the most similar vibe to Point Pleasant would have been Ashland or Somerset. Both of them have just a sort of eerie, you're not alone and you feel like you're being watched present the entire time. And there's something that had the same sort of inhuman feel specifically in Somerset. So that was very odd. Uh, same sort of thing you feel at the Bell Witch Cave, actually, down in uh, Adams, Tennessee. Okay. Oh, wow. So, like, so you've been quite a few <laughs> different places. Um, oh, I so, have. <laughs> so, like, when you're actually out here um, trying to help somebody learn about their talents, because I'm the type of person... Um, I believe that everybody has a certain type of energy. Like some people, like I was told that I'm an empath by someone that mm-hmm. didn't even know me. Um, they just listen, just listened to a little or watched what I was typing and 
just came up with that and I started thinking about it and I was like, you know, I'm not going to let them put that into motion, but I actually started thinking about it and I was like, yeah, maybe I am an empath. I don't, you know, I didn't think huh. I was. Um, but how do you help people with their talents? Like, how do you let someone know they have a talent? Does someone have to know it first? Or do you they just- don't. <laughs> I I'm a little bit more old fashioned than some of the people that you might see on TV specifically who are bad about that, walking up and saying, Hey, guess what? Your grandma's here, or hey, you know, you're not quite normal either. Um, that that never feels right to me. I never approach anyone unless they approach me first. When I go out to help someone, it might be that I get a call that there is something in their house that is wrong, like they're seeing something and nobody else in the family is. If it's that sort of case, then I will be happy to tell them that I think you are a little more visually inclined than your housemates might be. Uh, But more often than not, people find me because they are having some paranormal issues that they are aware of and they want someone who has already gone through it basically and that was sort of the case with my college roommate I met up with her and she was trying to find context for herself about what she was seeing and it was it was sort of good to sort of have somebody there that had gone through it before Uh, there are certain little trips like little things that you can do to sort of prove it to people uh specifically at that point in time we were on a college campus where there was a residual haunting that kept repeating itself so I wrote down what I'd seen there took her there and then had her write down what she had seen and then we sort of traded notes so she could see that we were seeing the same thing independently that's more along the lines of what I'm more likely to do with people especially if they're adults if they're children it's a different process naturally okay so in all of your experiences, um, like helping, uh, you, you know, like uh, we're, I talked to you about the Translunic uh, Asylum. Have you ever been to like an asylum somewhere or just somewhere that uh, had a lot of death and like felt like just, just like shaking, like out of place there? That's a very good way of phrasing that, being out of place. Very few people sort of phrase it that way, but that's exactly what it is. Uh, Trans-Allegheny seems to be very like Waverly Hills to me, uh, which is here in Louisville. Uh, Okay, I'm familiar. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, It has very much that same sort of feel to it. A big building that is built and intended at first to help people that ends up overcrowded and full of death and suffering and just in general sort of... A lot of negativity there. Maybe not quite as much as what happened at Trans-Allegheny, but it leaves an imprint there. And there was actually a sister asylum here in Louisville that was actually across town. It's been torn down. Only the uh, tunnels underneath are left at this point. But actually that location has the exact same feel as Waverly as well. It's like it left an imprint on the land itself. Even if the souls specifically aren't there, the energy, the memory of what they went through is still there in that land. that's really deep um it is all right so um one thing that i usually do uh in all these podcasts um i kind of flip it around so that the audience can can get a feel for how they can get in contact with you 
how can my audience contact you to either set up some type of meeting or I'm gonna call it a consultation, be it online or wherever. How can my audience reach you? Uh, the best way to get a hold of me is through my Instagram. It's at uh, Amarna Marie, A M A R N A M A R I E. Uh, that's the quickest and easiest way to get a hold of me. I post all of my speaking engagements, all the events that I'm going to be at, all the ghost hunts, things like that on there. And if somebody has paranormal questions, ghost questions, haunting questions, whatever's happening to them, I'm happy to chat on there back and forth and just see if we can come to a resolution. Uh, these are weird times. Lots of ghosts have been acting up due to the pandemic, it seems. So a lot of people have been reaching out with how to sort of settle the things in their own location. So that's the easiest and quickest way to get a hold of me. Okay. So do you have any up, any upcoming engagements that are going on in the near future? The next one that I am involved with should be the Scarefest CyberCon coming up in November. I will be talking about uh, the Lizzie Borden house and Maplecroft and my time as a co-host on the CW. So we'll be talking about some murders and some ghost stuff. And yeah, it's going to be fun. Okay. Okay. So going forward in life, uh, there's a young man, there's a young lady that has a similar talent to you, or as, as I would say, I'd say a skill, because it, it seems like that's what that is. Um, how do they tell their parents or tell someone that they have these senses, that they can do a little bit more than what's considered the norm? They have a higher, I'm not going to say intellect, but I want to say that, that their mind is formulated more um, than the average person. How do you go about telling your parents this? That is an exceedingly unique situation to each and every person. The first thing that you have to think of when you want to tell someone is your own safety. You need to make sure that if you tell these people um, that they're not going to most likely react badly. You know, if, if they're where you live and they're extremely religious, you might want to keep it inside at least until you can safely find a way to distance yourself. Just give yourself that little bit of distance. Personally, for me, I actually wrote it down. That worked a lot better for me. I actually wrote out what I wanted to say and I sent it in a letter form. Uh, it just let me see my thoughts better. Uh, some people do prefer that one-on-one -on -one contact of actually looking at somebody and saying, this is what I'm experiencing. The other side of that is you have to realize that these are very odd things to have happen. They're outside the norm. And you can't really blame your parents or whoever you're telling if the first thing they want to do is, I'd like to take you to a doctor and I'd like to just check and make sure that this is what you say it is and not something else. You need to understand that that is a high likelihood that that's what's going to happen. Um, you just need to be comfortable with who you are and how you present yourself. If you don't want to tell them, you don't have to. Nobody is entitled to anything about you that you don't want to freely give them. So it's such a unique proposition. The best thing is just to do what feels right to the person and make sure that they are doing it in the safest way for them. Okay, so here's my next question. If you could get rid of a stigma behind the psychic part of this, what stigma would you take away you know, from this? Because you know, being a psychic to a certain degree, it's 
well accepted in, in a lot of circles, but some circles consider it taboo. Absolutely. So what stigma would you take away? I would like to take away the sort of charlatan stigma to it. And that's not to say there aren't charlatans out there because there are, I've met them. People who just flat out lie and use it as a, as a way to bilk people out of money. People do it all the time and I find it absolutely deplorable. Um, in my own case, I've tried to make a very clear delineation between myself and Matt in so much that I do not do paid readings at all. I don't do it. Um, if I'm going to help someone, I will do it for free, essentially, because I don't want there to ever be any sort of misconception that I'm doing this to try and take advantage of someone's grief. People that come to psychics are doing so in a time of generally great grief and personal tragedy. There's, there's no reason to take advantage of someone in that situation. So if there's a stigma to take away, I would like to remove the charlatans from the group and just take away that sort of negative idea of just being users. And I think that's that would, that would be probably like the smartest thing to do in that situation to get rid of that um, part. So to a naysayer, because we both, you come from not so much Appalachia, but Kentucky's country, just like West Virginia. It to absolutely a, to, is, yeah. To a naysayer, what do you say to a naysayer that's like, um, this is a bunch of baloney? What do you say to a naysayer? I've had it happen so many times at this point. I mean, I remember being in high school and people telling me I was the devil's daughter and I was chased by a girl with a Bible one day. Just people that thought that I was possessed or people thought that I was crazy or people that thought that I was lying. And eventually I just realized that if someone believes that there is absolutely nothing I can do to change that. If somebody doesn't believe me, that's fine. You're entitled to your own delusions. Go for it. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't affect me if you don't believe me. Um, if you don't, that's that's your business. Okay. Um, another little thing I like to do on the show is, whenever someone comes on, I consider everybody an artist of something. Uh huh. So, do you have any publications that you'd like to plug to let the audience know about you or any way that they can um find some type of reading about what you do somewhere plug a website social media or anything like that uh my social media is mainly my twitter i have been published in several different books at this point if people want to read some of my personal encounters you can find that in a couple of different places uh Mike Rickseeker has a series of books called The Encounters with the Paranormal. I'm in volume three and volume four of that. You can find me in Lost Whispers, which is a collection of ghost stories. And also in, there's another one. It's not coming to my brain right now, though. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. If they want to see it in action, I was on a show called Sci-Fi School Spirits, which you can find online. You can find me on CWC, Mysteries Decoded, the first episode of that, Lizzie Borden, or right. on Paranormal Lockdown. I was also on that. Oh, wow. So you're a celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> I've done a little bit of ghost stuff here and there. Okay. All right. Um, 
in my show, there's a, a thing that me and the audience want to get for me that you have never told anybody or maybe a hidden talent. Uh, could you tell us something that nobody knows about you today? A hidden talent. Let's see. Or just something that's different about you that nobody knows. Hmm. Oh, that's hard. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know. Earlier today, I was trying to learn how to knit. It did not go well. Uh, not really the most interesting, but uh, that's something odd, I suppose. Maybe so, not odd, but... So you're not going to be out here making any blankets or any afghans, basically? Absolutely not. I can barely get four stitches together. So it sounds like you're going to be shopping at Walmart or Meyer somewhere getting a a blanket or a comforter or, or fleece. Absolutely. At <laughs> okay, all okay. times. <laughs> okay. So um, going forward, the historian part of what you do, mm-hmm. what are certain, what, what are key time periods that you use with this? Is, are you settled in the civil war or are there certain time periods that you just stick to or do, are you like well-versed in all? So academically speaking, I technically studied sort of the turn of the century. So from right before the Civil War up through the Gilded Age. So like up through the 1930s or so, if you will. Uh, So very much that sort of Victorian Civil War kind of area. But my cross-cultural, which you have to have in there, is ancient Egypt. So I have a very sort of weird amalgamic background of things that I actually look at and deal with. But it's, it's odd because you have to look at where you're at. Like here in Kentucky, you're going to find ghosts specifically from the turn of the century, the Civil War, things like that. And you're going to find things that have been here as long as the land has. And there's not a lot in between. And a lot of times I sort of reconcile that in my own mind with that time of the Civil War marked a period in American history where the country itself became obsessed with death. There was just so much dying and so much suffering going on here on our own land that the culture in and of itself just became obsessed with death and what happened after you died. Like ghost stories and things started to really become popular at that point in time. So I think that people were dying and they were obsessed with death before they died. So they naturally thought that when they died, their, you know, purpose was to hang out here and be a ghost. That's why I think we have so many of them in this particular area. And um, have you traveled pretty much a great bit of Appalachia, like Virginia, different places like that doing this? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Have you found it odd, like, uh, just Civil War-wise, like, like, a lot of people don't pay attention to history. But there were, like you said earlier, there was so much death in that period of time and leading mm-hmm. past that. And then even up until, I guess, what is it? The industrial um, yeah, portion. Absolutely. And then mainly the push of the railroad because, you know, Kentucky, West Virginia, those are just transport states. Um, they're, absolutely. They're, hub, they're just hubs. So you probably did have mm-hmm. a lot of death, a lot of crime. And then Cincinnati not being that far from you. And then... I figure mm-hmm. um, you've been over like Madison, Indiana, different places like that that are close by. Yeah. So, you, so you're pretty well versed in all the bad things that happened on the Ohio River. Yeah, there was a lot too. 
there's a lot of suffering and a lot of people that I think people forget just how frontiersy Kentucky and West Virginia and Indiana even were at, you know, at any point in time, really, up until you got the interstate highway system. These were backwoods. Before you had highways, before you had trains, you got around on a river and that was it. Yeah. And I mean, river, yeah, river pirates were a thing. Yeah, it was really serious because, like, uh, I'm actually from a little small town in Virginia called Lynchburg, and okay, um, and, and we were uh, our our river is the James River, and uh, what got me into a little bit of the paranormal as a young kid is you heard so many stories. We were famous for this uh, this boat called a bateau, which is just a bunch of logs rolled together, and you kind of build a hut on it. But the James River and a few other rivers were part of the Chesapeake. Uh, watershed so that water would eventually catch up to the northern part of West Virginia and obviously uh the higher river and stuff you know it runs from Pittsburgh down um that all connected so there was so much wild things going on and you know being in the mountains there's certain connotations of the inbred and all the other wild things that go on um yeah you hear these folklores. You, um, I had a friend that he went to the actual Allegheny Mountains, which are attached between West Virginia and Virginia, and that mm-hmm. was like a a breeding ground for death there. Like if you went between these two when the states were worn, there were there's were so many soldiers that are missing and things like that that he got into the paranormal. He would he would try to figure out what was going on in certain areas because he could sense certain things, and that kind of like tickled my fancy there and then you know later on in life it's just different things that you know have happened to me that like sometimes I was like whoa you know is this is this an entity I don't have the I don't think I have that uh psychological uh intellect to know that I mean obviously you know how to do that and you have that um so I find it very extraordinary and, and that's an awesome gift that you have to do that so um I would always ask you that, you know, you obviously are uh, passing that along to the world, but continue to do that because there's nobody like you out here, you know? Well, thank you for that. I think it's very important for people that are quirky like me to not hide from what you're seeing. I find that it's very sort of detrimental to people if you if you don't give yourself at least some ground to experience what it is that you're experiencing i've seen it do bad things to people's mental health i mean you can only hide something for so long but i have to agree that mountains even here in kentucky the mountains they hold things like the legends that we get up there even though they're legends every time i've gone up there looking for any of them i have found at least a sliver of truth i found something about them that rings true when you get there There are things in the mountains that people don't really think or understand is there, I think. Yeah. And I, and I wholeheartedly agree with that. And um, like like I said, it's just the the culture here. I always say, I always bring everything to Appalachia. Appalachia is something that we don't, you know, like people, especially with the paranormal, you know, you see a lot of it uh, on the sci-fi channel and different stuff with these ghost hunter shows. Um, to me, like I said, it's just amazing that all this stuff happens in just these few states that are so close by. So 
I um, always find it interesting that it doesn't get out beyond the borders of Appalachia either. A lot of the strange things that happen seem to stay very contained. So would you say like, I mean, it's by the time you get to maybe Fort Worth in Indiana or you get as far as St. Louis, it kind of just dies down? St. Louis has a very different energy to me. Outside of St. Louis's Cahokia Mounds, which is a mound builder, one of the largest settlements in the U.S., if not the largest settlement at that point in time, it was huge. Uh, so it has a very different, very native feel to it, but it's not at all what you find up in the mountains. Hmm. That's interesting. Well, Stephanie, I would like to thank you for being a guest on West Virginia and Commonplace. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, in the near future, we always ask people um, if by chance you would come back as a, as a guest um, because you have so much going on with you, you know, that your story never ends because you're writing history technically and you're maybe correcting history. Uh, we can uh, get into that in another episode. But once again, um, I'd like to thank you for coming on. And is there anybody that you would want to give a shout out to? Because that's something we do at the end of the show because there's always somebody behind us that... Um, you know, makes us bigger and stronger. Like for me, um, my girlfriend, Stacy, she's behind me on everything. So always, you know, let her, let her know and I let the world know that, you know, she keeps me real strong and real grounded in finding people like you and, and looking around to try to um, make the world round instead of being so square. So is there anybody that you'd like to thank? That's an incredibly sweet thing to do. Um, I would like to thank my uh, quarantine travel buddy who's been drugged to all sorts of haunted locations in the last couple of months. And her name is Megan, uh, just for being willing to go with the crazy lady to all of the creepy places that I can come up with. So it's been really nice to not be, you know, driving into the backwoods of nowhere by myself. <laughs> Which that's understandable. And uh, one thing I'll just say, just add in, it's amazing for you to be staying in Louisville at this time. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't politic or anything, but I was, uh, I, I come there once a year for Kentucky kingdom. Yeah. And I was in that area and I'm not talking about like forces, but it's just, it's so much rage in that area. There is. It, it's there a, is. It, it's a, it's a real cultural shock now than when I was there summer 19 summer 20 like it's a whole difference so um i would just say to you it's it's commendable that you're able to actually stay there because you know with so many things going on people migrate other places because you know with all the tensions and everything like i said i don't ever in my podcast spill over into anything political or anything that makes it divide but that look that area right there is really rough right now it is. I'm just hoping and praying for some compassion and some calm to take over. And, and I hope the same too. And once again, thank you for being on the show and we would love to have you back again. Thanks for having me and I'd ha be happy to come back.